following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good day, Christian Life Austin. And good day, Austin. And good day, all the people that are watching, viewing on whatever platform you're listening or watching on today. You know, it's, a, it's an honor to come into your homes. It really, really is. This is our seventh Sunday. Seven Sundays we have done this live broadcast, and I am so grateful that you are such attentive people and such respectful people that you'll sit down and you'll listen and you'll worship where you are because God is not, He's not just in a church. He's not just in a car. He's not just in the atmosphere. He's everywhere. He makes up all time and space, and wherever His name is exalted, there He will be in the midst of His people. So get your kids gathered around you, and let's have church today and see what God has for us. I'm going to talk about miracles today. I'm going to talk about miracles. This is our seventh Sunday since we've started, and I'm going to talk today on the seventh hour. I'm going to speak on the seventh hour. Seven is a wonderful number in the, in the mind of God, and we're going to talk about seven today. Dr. Richard Halverson used to be the Senate chaplain in, in the District of Columbia. And prior to in, being in the Senate, he was a pastor of a church in Bethesda, Maryland for some 23 years. And he believed his most important function was pronouncing the benediction at the end of every service. The last thing said and the last thing people heard for 23 years was this. You go nowhere by accident. And wherever you go, God is sending you. And wherever you are, God has put you there. He died in December of 95. But at his funeral, at the end of the funeral, they hit the sound board. Uh, man hit play and here's Dr. Halverson's words again. It was his voice saying, you go nowhere by accident. Wherever you go, God's sending you. And wherever you are, God has put you there. So what he was saying in essence was, God is ordering your footsteps. That's the first thing I want to tell you today. God's ordering our footsteps. God's preparing good works for all of us in advance. He goes before us. He comes behind us. He's setting up divine appointments for you even now. But it's our job to keep the appointments that God sets for us. In the book of John chapter 4, I'm going to read today, said once more, he, Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee where he had turned the water to wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. I love the message version. It said, unless you people are dazzled by a miracle, you refuse to believe. Verse 49 said, the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus said, your son will live. Five words, go, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said unto him, yesterday at the seventh hour, one o'clock in the afternoon, the fever left him. 
And then the father realized that this was the exact time that Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Not just him, but his whole household. This is the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now, I'm going to set a little background here before I get into this message today. Back in the 16th century, in fact, 1555 in Geneva, Switzerland, a French printer and scholar named Robert Estine had a bright idea of adding numbers to the Bible to create chapter and verses. So the next time you're quoting verse like John 3.16, you will owe it to Estine's Bible. The first Bible to help us find an address for what we're looking for in God's Word. I like addresses in my Bible. The Estine Bible is one of the two that President Thomas Jefferson had in his collection. The other Bible is now known as the Jefferson Bible. And it had some unusual characteristics in it. Jefferson appreciated the teaching of Jesus, but he was also a student of enlightenment. And for him, knowledge and reason came first. And many of us today are tempted to believe as Jefferson did. And when you do, however, you lose the mystery and you lose the miracles that God has for you. You can try to reduce God to the logical constraints of your left brain, and you can try to create God in your own image. But when you do, you end up with a God. Yes, you have a God, but he's lowercase g. That looks an awful lot like you. He talks like you. He thinks like you. He acts like you. And he's sort of a mirror image of yourself. In the words of the great speaker A.W. Tozer, he said, what you end up is with a God who can never surprise you, who can never astonish you, who can never overwhelm you, and you can never be transcended by him. And I might add, a God who can never do miracles in your life. That's not the God that I believe in today, folks, on this 26th day of April. And it's not the God of the Bible that I preach about. I believe in a God who is high and exalted. I believe in a God who's omnipotent and omniscient. I believe in a God who exists outside the four dimensions of space, time that he created. I believe in a God who can make and break the laws of nature. I believe in a God of miracles. I believe in a God who can make the sun stand still and can still part rivers. I believe in a God who can create the cosmos with four words. Let there be light. And I believe in a God who can turn water into wine. And I believe in a God who can heal a man born blind. And I believe in a God who can raise a man who's been dead for four days. I believe that. And I believe in a God who can overcome death and bring the dead to life even now. But let me go back to President Jefferson. February of 1804, Jefferson went to work with the pair of scissors to create an abridged version of the Bible minus all the miracles. And he included the teachings of Jesus, but he excluded the miracles of Jesus. He deleted the virgin birth. He deleted the resurrection. He deleted the 34 distinct recorded miracles that Jesus did in between the birth and the resurrection. And in the words of historian Edwin Gustad, 
If a moral lesson was embedded in a miracle, the lesson survived the Jeffersonian scripture, but the miracle died. Even when, if this took careful cutting with scissors. And so Gustad said when Jefferson got into John's gospel, he kept his blade busy. Jefferson's version of the gospel ends with the stone rolled in front of the tomb, not the stone rolled away from the tomb. Jefferson's Bible includes the fact that the cross was there, but Jesus never rose from the dead. And that's hard for some of us to imagine. How can you take a pair of scissors to the sacred text of the holy writ of the Word of God? Part of us says you can't do that, but I'm afraid we do the same thing sometimes. What promises have we stopped claiming in our lives? What miracles are you not believing God for anymore in your existence? When did you take the scissors to the things that you think God just can't do in your life? See, we become cutters and pasters and pickers and choosers. We really do. And what we end up is this. We have a neutered gospel. We have a gospel that does not have power. We have a gospel that does not have a resurrection ability in it. God forgive us. You see, in the first miracle that Jesus performed, the wedding at Canaan, Galilee, he controlled the elements. He showed he could control elements. And in the second miracle that we're going to talk about today, he controlled time and space. But in the third miracle, John chapter 5, the man born lame and laid for 38 years at a pool called Bethesda, he could not control the thinking of people. And he cannot make you believe in his power today. So with that as a base, I want to preach to you. I want to share something with you. That there is a God you can still believe in. There's a God that still does the miraculous. And the miraculous is still for the people of God today. He's still a miracle worker. My first point I want to preach today is simply this. Jesus came again to Cana. He went back to the place, folks, of his first miracle. There are times in our lives that we need to revisit the place of that first miracle in our lives. There are some times we just need to get back to Canaan. We have to get back to Cana and see what God has done in our life. We need to make our way back to the first open door that we thought would never open. We need to make our way back to the place and time when the bills got paid and you just can't explain in the natural how it happened. We need to get back to the place and time when the doctor gave you a report and Jesus gave you a second opinion. We need to get back to the time when we were looking for a divorce attorney and God sent his counsel and the marriage is still safe in the arms of Jesus today. Sometimes you just need to go back to Cana. And that's what Jesus did. Go back to the place where you've experienced a miracle, where God's done something for your life that is undeniable. And when that happens, you need to hit your knees. You need to thank God. You need to allow God to reset and renew the faith in your heart for the miracle that you need in your life, perhaps even now. See, if your name is Lazarus, you need to go back and put flowers on your own grave that you were raised from. 
If you're Zacchaeus, you need to go back and climb that sycamore tree again and get a better view of Jesus as he passes by. If you are Paul, you need to hop on your horse and ride on the road toward Damascus to the place where God knocked you off your horse and you got that revelation of the Lord in your life. If you're Simon Peter, you need to get a, in a boat and row that boat out to the place where you walked on water and you said, this is where it happened. This is where it went down. If you're Elijah, you need to go back to Mount Carmel where you and the Lord defeated 500, uh, pardon me, 850 false prophets of Baal. And if you're Moses, you need to go back to the burning bush, to that holy ground. And if you're Jesus, you need to go back to Cana where it all started. Wait, 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 Pastor Rex, wait. We're talking about Jesus here. Yeah, we are. Listen, I know he's in a category by himself, but facts are facts. See, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in providence. And I don't believe with God there's any accidents. I believe there's only appointments. And there's something about it. You can't deny his power at the place of one of his miracles. And a miracle happened in Cana. And they didn't drink all the 757 bottles of wine. That's what scientists say probably was when they poured it all out, 757 bottles of wine. There were still poly bottles on eBay trying to be sold. There was still a residual effect of the miracle that happened there. See, it increases our faith when we remember. And sometimes instead of thinking, God, why don't you do this? We need to begin to say, God, I remember when you did this. And that's when faith begins to rise like a thermal through the, through the atmosphere. Jesus came again to Cana. To Cana. Came again. Verse 46, and said, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. That word royal official there simply means a king's man. That meant that this man worked for the king. He made the big bucks. He was a royal official. And when royal officials and Jewish rabbis come together, it's totally different circles. First century Israel, royal officials and itinerant Jewish rabbis ran in a very different social circle. They did not follow each other on Twitter. <laughs> and they did not friend each other on Facebook. They didn't even pin on each other's walls. And they didn't like each other's Instagram. Do you understand? They didn't run together. They didn't eat together. They didn't walk the road together. They didn't dialogue together. And they avoided each other at all costs. But desperate times sometimes called for desperate measures. And sometimes what you think you will never need is just what you might need the most of. See, he came to God when there was trouble in his life. I hate to say this to you, but that's many, many of our testimonies is that everything was going good and then things turned south and I discovered I needed God in my life. Aren't you glad that he's not just a fair weather God? Aren't you glad that he comes in the foul weather? Aren't you glad he can walk on the sea to your boat in the middle of a tempest storm that's raging in your world? See, this royal man's child was at death's door, and this nobleman begged for mercy's door to open. 
You know, you'll do anything when your child is at death's door. You need to ask Jairus about that. He came all the way from his place to Jesus to get Jesus to raise his 12-year-old daughter. Isn't it interesting that children, though they're not angels, of course, my grandkids are, but children are not angels, bring us to a place that even angels would have a hard time getting us to go to. And here's what I want to tell you. When this happened, the authority script is flipped. See, the nobleman had authority, but he recognized a greater authority. And the one with authority is the royal official. He's the king's man. But he recognized something in Jesus of greater authority. Maybe he was in that cacophony of people that said a long time after this meeting, never a man spake like this man. There was something unique about him. He spoke as one who had authority. And when the royal officials come knocking sometime on our door, we have the authority of God walking with us in our hearts. And some think they have what you want. But you know what? If you have Jesus, you have what they need in your life. Because there's an authority that is far greater than any authority that can be given by man. It is the authority of God. And I want you to live in that authority. I want you to walk in that authority. I want you to claim that authority in your life. I want you to understand that God is with us here today. A divine appointment is happening. And it's happening in Cana. In verse 47 said, When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him. See, Capernaum, folks, is 20 miles from Cana and 700 feet below sea level. And sometimes, sometimes, faith is measured in miles. Okay, 20 miles of faith, like we can say it. In, in this case, I will suggest that it was 20 miles of faith. It took 20 miles of faith for him to experience this miracle. And here's what I mean by that. You can't earn a miracle. You can't. Sometimes faith requires a walk. The blind man in John 9 was touched by the temple or touched at the temple. And he had to walk to the outside of the gate of Jerusalem to the pool of Siloam to get his healing from his blindness. Are you willing to walk to get a miracle in your life? Are you willing to get up and go after your miracle? Come on, the Israelites had to circle Jericho seven times on the seventh day for the walls to fall. Naaman had to dip in the muddy Jordan River seven times to get healed from his leprosy. And Elijah had to pray for rain seven times on top of Mount Carmel. It's not like seven is a magic number, but sometimes you have to do the natural so God can do the supernatural. It's a good way to look at it. In fact, I'm going to say it this way. You need to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Here's my point. Your effort won't make miracles happen, but your lack of effort can keep them from happening. And if the royal official had stayed in Capernaum 20 miles away, he would have missed the miracle. Don't wait for the miracle to come to you. Go get your miracle today. Position yourself for the miraculous to happen in your life. Hallelujah. 
Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort, but grace is opposed to earning. He said, earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. And you can't earn this, but you can give God an effort and God will show you that he'll bless that effort. Are you willing to walk to Cana? That's the, that's the question. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Here's the second thing I want to bring to your reference today. He limited Jesus' power to his local presence. He limited him. He said, I know you can do something here. I know you can, if I bring you home, you can do it there. But it's 20 miles from here. He believed Jesus could. He just didn't believe at a distance of 20 miles, the latitude and the, the longitude, that it would work that distance. He didn't understand that the word of the Lord could operate apart from the Lord's physical presence. If you've got a promise, you have enough. I love the story in Ezra chapter 6 when Zerubbabel's temple was being built. And the Bible said when they laid the foundation of the temple, they rejoiced. They danced on the foundation. Listen, if Jesus gives you five words, go, your son will be healed. Your son is healed. Go, your son is healed. Five words. If he gives you five words, can you rejoice on that? Can you shout on that foundation? Go, Jesus said. Your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. The man said, in essence, if you tell me that, Jesus, I'm going to trust that. You know, you need to trust the word of Jesus. I, I read a story about a man crossing the desert back in the days of the pioneers, and he, he ran out of water. He was dying of thirst and came upon a water pump near an abandoned shack. And there was no water to prime the pump, but he noticed there was a jug of water with a note attached. The note said, there's just enough water in this jug to prime the pump, but not if you drink any of it first. This well has never gone dry, even in the worst of times. Pour the water on the top of the pump and the pump handle quick and pump the handle quickly and you'll have all the water you can drink. And after you're finished, refill the jug for the next man who comes along. This man had a decision to make. He could see the water in the jug. He could only believe the water was in the well. So it's decision time. Is seeing believing or is believing seeing? The man believed. Prime the pump and had all the water he could drink, but he had to believe that there was water in the well before he could ever prime the pump and see it. Here's my point. You don't receive and then believe. You believe it, and then you receive it. Say amen where you are. A lot of miracles start with a word, and you won't get a word if you don't get into the word. Jesus said it this way in John, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will and it shall be done. What he's saying is don't seek miracles, seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. You see, Jesus was the living word. And when you get into his word, it becomes alive because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And he's still dwelling among us right now. That word abide means it's a present imperative verb, indicates continual action. He is the word. Jesus is the word. He's the word made flesh. And when we're in the word of God, he can begin to quicken it, but you have to abide in it. 
That word abide has five interpretations. It means to stay overnight, hang on for your healing. It means to hold fast like Jacob. Not, don't let it go till he blesses you. It means to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. It means to tarry like the disciples did in the upper room. And it means to move yourself in the direction of Jesus Christ in your life. Stay overnight, hold fast, stand still, tarry, be moved. The man believed Jesus and he took him at his word. And then he checked his sundial. Evidently, he had marked the sundial. Because when he met his servants coming the other way, he asked them, what time did my son get well? When they told him the son was alive. And they replied yesterday, the seventh hour. And my third and concluding point today is simply this, the seventh hour. Mark the moment. Mark it. Mark the moment. The seventh hour needs to be marked in your life. I need to mark the moment of miracles in my life. I received Jesus when I was a nine-year-old boy in Leveland, Texas. And many years later, I went back to the old church and a new church had been built in its place. And the altar where I found Jesus was put in the back it was a part of a prayer room now. And I asked where that altar was. And I went and knelt down at that altar. And I renewed my commitment to Jesus Christ. I marked the spot of where Jesus saved my soul. I remember back in 2015, my middle girl, Patty and I, our middle daughter, was healed during a pregnancy right here in this church. It was May of 2015, and we found out that Cassidy was pregnant with another baby. We didn't know what the baby's sex was going to be. They, did, they chose not to find out. Come to find out it was another beautiful little girl. We named her Ellery Joy. Pure excitement, pure joy. But there was complications with Cassidy in 2015. That was in May. So fast forward one month to June of 15, and Cassidy goes to the doctor and finds out that it's pretty serious complications. They call it placenta previa. You folks know what that is. And after losing one baby they had lost, and you hear complications again, your mind begins to race. And you begin to question and wonder. But we had a month-long stretch of miracles at the church during that time. In fact, we called it Miracle Month. We called it Miracle Month. Now fast forward one more month to July of 2015 and everything from financial miracles to the sick being healed to babies who were literally dead in the womb only to have their heartbeat resumed, two of them in the matter of one week. It was that kind of miraculous things happening at the church. It was an awesome thing and we just kind of looked at the sundial and said, wow, we're having a great month. It was the week of the 17th and we prayed for Cassidy. Because everybody else was getting a miracle, I said, God, my family needs a miracle. And Cassie was healed. And she went back to the doctor that, that week, and the doctor said, whatever you did, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> and Ellery is a beautiful story, a beautiful baby girl that turned four in January on the 11th this year. And she's doing well and very healthy. God gave Pastor Brad, though, a promise on July the 12th, that was a Sunday. I'll never forget this. 
It was the week before God healed his wife. It was Sunday the 12th, and during worship service, he felt God come and whisper to him, and God said, she will be healed. And Brad marked the miracle. He hadn't seen the results yet, but he had a promise. And all you need from God is a promise. Everyone needs a seventh hour in your life. Everyone needs God's Word to speak to you and to talk to you and to tell you it's going to be all right. You never know when it will happen, but we have to mark it so we can come back to it again and again. You're not listening to this by accident this weekend. You're listening today by divine appointment. I don't know what you need in your life today, what you have petitioned God for today, how you got to this point in your life, or who invited you to a miracle watch party today at a particular house. Could it be that this day that you look back on it and say Sunday, April 26, at a particular hour was the day the miracle began for me? Pastor, I'm going to claim this as my seventh hour. I'm going to claim it as my time. It's my time. We need a faith that can conceive the invisible. We need a faith that can believe the incredible. And we need a faith that can receive the impossible. In Jesus' name, receive that faith in your home. In Jesus' name, take that faith. And if you need a miracle right now, lift your hands where you are. And I declare a miracle in your home today, right now. In Jesus' name, I declare a miracle in your house. I declare a seventh hour in your house right now. I declare a word spoken to you. Go, your son is healed. I declare it. I speak it. Your marriage is healed. Your job is there. This coronavirus is going to be behind us. Speak it in the name of the Lord and let God ratify what you believe when you accepted his word at face value. In the name of Jesus today, do your work in this house and do your work in every house that's listening via the internet or whatever platform they're listening to. Do a work in the lives of families today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I declare it in your home today. God bless. We'll see you Wednesday in the name of the Lord. Be blessed.